All right, well, look, we're going to jump right in. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and, and uh, turn to Galatians 3. got a long way to go. I've actually, when I finished typing my message out, I noticed I had like 10 pages, and I, I thought, well, we're going to have to do something different. So I started paring some stuff down, but we will work through it, and uh, we'll just be try to try to do what we can. Paul has closed out his defense of himself and his message in chapter 2. That was really where Galatians started, and he kind of closed it out. We finished that up last week. As he did that, as he set himself up in front of people, he founded his life and identity in the distinctly Christian God. I mean, this is important for Paul because if you remember what Paul had said about himself in Judaism, he was committed to the non-Christian God, a God that didn't send Jesus, a God that wasn't taking on a new nature in man and, and incarnating himself and living here. So there, there really are two different gods. And so Paul has distinctly identified with this Christian God. And then he talks about how Jesus has utterly and just completely changed his life and, and the trajectory of his life. He was on his way to Damascus. Paul is, is confronted with Jesus and he is changed forever. His life had been about advancing in Judaism. The trajectory of his life, the direction of his life, he was really probably on track to become, we don't know for sure, we could what if it all day long, but he was probably on track to become like the next great rabbi. He was going to be a, a guy that made a big difference in Judaism. But he met Jesus and his life has changed and no longer is he living to the law or living up to the expectations of the rabbis or living up for the accolades, living for the accolades of other people but his life has changed drastically, and the person or, or, or being that he once exalted is Jesus Christ. And he comes to this place where he recognizes that they are glorifying God because of him. They're glorifying God because God worked so mightily in Paul's life through Jesus. And Jesus met him, he gave him a message, and he sent him, and he said, go and, and tell others about this. And so that's what Paul did, and so... Paul is defending that message. He's appending, he's defending his identity or his authority, his apostleship of, 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 of Jesus Christ being sent from him. And he begins to share how he met the apostles, shared his message with them, and they don't add anything to it. They give him the right hand of fellowship, which really means they were partners. They were hanging, they, they were together. They were, they were on the same mission, sharing the same message, doing the same work. And here Paul is, is, you know, he's, he's in Jerusalem meeting them. And not only did his life and his message become a, a testimony to what Jesus had done or that, or, or his partnership with the apostles become an affirmation that he was preaching the right message, but, t- or Titus, I almost said Timothy, Titus also became affirmation. Titus was a Greek dude who hung out with Paul, who went on several trips with him. He happened to go into Jerusalem. He was Greek wasn't circumcised, but he goes into the middle of circumcision city, and he's not circumcised, he's not forced to be circumcised because the apostles there, the people who stood for the message of the gospel, recognized that justification is not by works, salvation doesn't come by works, but through faith. So all of this wraps up, and, and he finalizes his testimony by sharing what is now today a famous confrontation between him and Peter. He doesn't share it to defame Peter. He's not trying to make Peter look bad. He just demonstrates that even in the midst of our walk, when we get tripped up, it's this gospel message that makes the difference. He called these people in Antioch to the gospel with the gospel. He called them back in line with the truth of the gospel by reminding them what the gospel was about. So he does all that, and and it's important. I mean, for some of us, as we think about history and we think about the things that went on, you know, it seems like maybe this wasn't that big a deal. But this is imperative. It's imperative for these Galatians to know this. It's imperative for you and I to know this. It's imperative for us to remember it. Because now, as he turns, he's in chapter 3, he's going to turn. And he's no longer going to talk about his testimony, but he's going to get in their face and he's going to say, this is what you need to believe. He's going to start teaching them. He's going to start laying out doctrine. He's going to start start dealing with them and reminding them of what he taught and calling them back to it. And so it's important that they remember he was sent from Jesus with Jesus' message. He is an apostle and has authority, not that originated with himself, but that came from God. And God said, this is the truth. 
Now you take it and you teach it to people and you call people to submit themselves to it, to trust in it, to rely on it, and it alone for salvation. And so that was what the whole idea behind chapters 1 and 2 were about, getting this all set up so that now he could start talking to them very directly about where they were kind of missing it, about where they were going astray. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to pick it up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. We'll actually make it through verse 9 today, I hope. Uh, if we don't, well, we'll just see what happens, but I hope we will. Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, I don't want to go any further without at least dealing with this. Because this is pretty strong language. I mean, if I came to you one Sunday, just, just imagine this. If I came to you one Sunday and said, oh, foolish people at the way, how would you receive that? You'd probably be a little offended. I mean, I would be a little bothered by it. But the reality is, is what Paul is doing here, yeah, he's using strong language, but he's got some reasons why. He's got some reasons to do that. I mean, consider who these people were to Paul. Paul had gone into Galatia, preached the gospel, they responded to the gospel, and so in a way, they were his children in the faith. They were extremely important to him. He, he cared deeply about them as members of the body of Christ. And so the reason he's now reacting so strongly is because he cares so deeply. I mean, honestly, if, if you do something that is stupid, I mean, let's just be straight up, sometimes we do stupid things, and the people who are close to you aren't bothered by it, what does that say about how much they really, you really mean to them? I mean, I know when Amy gets frustrated with me about something I've done, or if maybe I've hurt her feelings and said something that maybe I wasn't thinking straight, or done some stupid thing, and she gets frustrated with me, what I've begun to recognize is that she's not reacting just because things didn't go her way, but really because she cares about me so much and I'm so significant to her. And the truth, the same would be true for me. The reason that I, I, I get onto my children, the reason that the boys sometimes hear me shout at them is because sometimes they are going the wrong direction and they need to be called back to the right one. But it's because I care. And so that's really how Paul is approaching this. And so as he's saying this, he's not trying to insult the Galatians. But man, he cares. They mean so much to him. And, at, and the thing that he's saying is not, hey, you stupid idiots. He's not getting in their face and insulting them. He's not looking at them as if they are unable to understand or unable to think. In fact, the word in the Greek really signifies that they're neglecting to. You foolish Galatians. What he's saying is, you unthinking Galatians. You have every faculty about you to be able to think and understand this, but you are sinfully neglecting to consider it. God has given us a mind. He's given us brains. He's given us probably the most fascinating part of all of human uh, physiology is the brain and what it does. We're called on to use it. And that's what Paul is simply saying to these Galatians as, as he says this, and actually he's going to say it again in verse 3. But I want you to get past this idea. He's not insulting them. He is calling on them to think. Really, as he begins to open in chapter 3, he is appealing to them. Think about what I'm saying. Think about what these Judaizers have come in and lied to you about. Think about this. Oh, you foolish or oh, you unthinking Galatians. Think. And really, really honestly, I mean... I think this is an area where we miss it so much in our culture today. We are so ready to be given an answer. And, and so ready just to hear someone say something that sounds good, that oftentimes we will hear it and never think about it. That's why health and wealth theology is so popular, because it sure sounds good. I really wish I could promise you that you could have your best life now. I really wish that you could experience all the beauty and benefit of God's grace in this very moment and that you would never hurt or deal with pain again. But think about it. That message doesn't stand up. It's why so many, um, so many false, false Christs 
can be preached because people aren't willing to think through the implications. It's, it's why this idea that all roads lead to heaven is so prominent today. This idea of pluralism because people don't think. How could it be possible that this God is the same God when they're obviously so totally different? But we need to think about this. So I hope that's what you hear. Not just Paul railing or ranting at these people, but that you hear him calling out for these people to think. <coughs> Excuse me. And I hope that that's how it comes to you in your life. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? <coughs> Man, something's in my throat. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Man. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now here's the thing. These Galatians, they had everything they needed to think about. They, They had it. Paul is asking them, in a, in a sense, it's kind of two-folded uh, question. It, it's rhetorical, but it, it has kind of a dual meaning. Who has confused you? But there's also a sense of, thank you, there's also a sense of spiritual warfare. The word that he uses there is actually not used anywhere else in the Bible. And it's completely, uh, I, mean, I mean, so so we have to understand it from the culture and how it's used in the, the Galatian or, or the, the uh, Greek culture. And this word really means who has bewitched you in the sense of how have you been supernaturally confounded? How, how have you been supernaturally confused? But it's not just that because obviously there's a real people that were involved in screwing them up and giving them lies to believe and leading them astray. <clears throat> you care to hold that? You're the man. <clears throat> So here he is, who's bewitched you, who's confounded you, who's confused you, even though you have everything you need to think through this and to understand the error in it. Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed in front of you. Now, obviously they were in a different area than where Jesus was crucified, and they probably weren't present at his crucifixion. But they would have understood what crucifixion was. They lived in a day and age when probably they had witnessed crucifixions. And also, you know, it's not that they could have looked at a movie screen and watched the Passion of the Christ like we would. I mean, today we would refer to the Passion of the Christ for a picture or an image of what it was for Jesus to be crucified. happens all the time. But they didn't have that. What they had was an understanding of what crucifixion was and Paul standing to them and preaching before them and possibly even some of his people acting it out and showing them what it was about. But him telling them about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, they had it. They understood it. They had believed it. There had been a response from it. They had everything they needed. But they had allowed themselves to be confused because they didn't think. Because they neglected to use the head, the brain that God had given them. So he keeps going. He, he says, are you so foolish? What, what he's about to do, let me just break this out for you before, you before we read it so that you'll hear it. What he's about to do is begin to appeal to them about their experience. A lot of people think of experience and they think, oh man, you've got to be careful with experience because it is, you know, it's just not very dependable. And that's really true. But he is about to appeal to them to think about their experience with Christ through the Holy Spirit and and God the Father. And then he's going to turn and appeal to them to think about Scripture. But as he does this, he starts by by just asking them a series of questions. And it's really funny because he he says at first, he says, um, let me ask you only this. And it turns out that he asked them like five or six questions, five five questions if I remember right. We're going to deal with four of them. He says, let me ask you only 
this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now we're going to deal with those. We're going to, we're going to actually think about those questions because I think that we need to stop and think. If Paul is calling these Galatians to think, we ought to stop and think. Did you receive the Spirit by faith or, or by works? What he's getting at is that the receiving the Holy Spirit is some, it's synonymous with salvation. It's synonymous with justification, which he has been talking about all the way through the letter. Remember what justification means. It means being called innocent, being declared innocent by God. He looks at you and he declares you innocent. And so Paul is saying, did you receive the Spirit by, by works or by, by faith? Did, did you receive this justification? Did you receive this, this innocent standing before God by, by works or by faith? So the Spirit is our greatest assurance of salvation. There is nothing else in your life that will measure up to this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God living in you, indwelling you, is the greatest assurance you have of salvation. He's, the, he, he's God's seal on every believer. It's His role to come in and live in you. It's the surest way we know that we've been saved. And now Paul wants these Galatians to consider that. He wants them to think about it. Did you do something to receive the Spirit? Or did you hear my preaching and respond to it in faith and receive the Spirit? Remember who they are. They are probably a mixture of Jewish people and Gentile people, probably more Gentile than Jews. There was Jews that were living in the area. But they're an uncircumcised group of people. And so as he's asking them this, it should pop a light on in their head. When Paul came and preached to us, we didn't follow the law. We're still not following the law. We're, we're still uncircumcised. We're, we're still not offering sacrifice to God for, for our anointing or, or our forgiveness of sin. We're, we're not going to the temple for the three holidays that every Jew is supposed to be there for. We're not doing these rituals. We're not living in this way. But yet we receive the Spirit. We've been saved. So did you do that? Or did you receive him because you did something special or because you believed? He's beginning to ask them to think. He's appealing to their experience. What happened in your life? I mean, consider your life. Consider your life. Imagine if someone came to you and said, to be a good Christian, you must follow this 12-step process and after you follow this 12-step process, then God will call you holy and he will, he will let you into heaven. If you will just do these 12 things, well, how would that measure up to your experience? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing in faith? When you came to believe, when you came to an understanding that you couldn't do anything to work for your salvation, when you needed Jesus, when Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection became real and true before you and you trusted in it, did that happen because you followed a 12-step process or simply because you were able to trust in it? See, that's what he's asking them to think about. He goes on, having begun by the Spirit, question number two, and actually it's question number three because question number two is, are you so foolish? I mean, now he's really amping it up. Are you really not thinking at all? Are you, are you really going to neglect this answer? Are, is it so easy to mislead you? Having begun by the Spirit, are you perfected by the flesh? I mean, do you really think that it's possible 
to enter into salvation and then be required to, to maintain something that's, that's different? Or is it possible that having begun by the Spirit, that you can now keep yourself saved by what you do? As I read this the first time, I began to think about John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He doesn't want anybody to know he's there. It's, it's a secret. He's a, he's a Jewish leader, he's, he, but, but he's curious. He's seen and heard about Jesus, and he knows that he's a man of God, and he wants to talk to him about eternal life. What does it mean to have, or what does it take to have eternal life? And Jesus looks at him and he says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, What? How in the world does a grown man get back in his mom's womb? I gotta, I gotta do that again? It's impossible. And Jesus says, no. No, you're not getting it. He says, in fact, he says in John 3, 6, he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh and which, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. What he's saying is, is that you have to be born of the spirit. You have to be made alive by the spirit. So, in his two questions already, he's beginning to, to lay out for these Galatian people that, that not only is their life in salvation wrapped up in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, not only can they know that they've been saved because the Holy Spirit lives in them, but the Holy Spirit initiated this in them. Have you begun by the Spirit and now think that you're perfected by the faith? Are, are you going to stand there and think that the Spirit of God did some supernatural work in you? So that you could believe and now think that now that that's happened, that in some way you have to maintain it yourself? Are you so foolish to think that? See, what what, what he wants them to understand and, and what I hope you will understand is that we are saved by God. And we are kept safe by God. Never. In all of our Christian walk, will we be expected or, or able to stand on our own power or works? We are saved by God and kept safe by God. Jesus, Jesus completes us. He perfects us. He does the work that, 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 that makes us clean. See, Jesus finishes the work that He starts. The idea here, and, and this is just another another way to think about it, but we've already talked about justification and that, that being called innocent or declared innocent before God. We've already talked about that. He then turns and now says, are you being perfected in the flesh? Absolutely not. He's talking about sanctification. And while justification is that is that declaration of God that you are innocent, sanctification is the process by what by which He makes you innocent, where he begins to remove sin from you. You see, not only did he call you righteous or innocent at one point, but after that, he begins a process in your life by which he begins to purge you of sin. And you know who does that in you? Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, if, if the Holy Spirit is my assurance of salvation and I was begun in the Spirit, how do I know I've got the Spirit? I mean, it's not like, in fact, probably most of your testimonies don't go like this. I received the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues, and all of these miraculous things were being done through me, and I was laying hands on people, and they were standing up and walking when they couldn't walk, and I would, I packed some mud up in one dude's eyes, and all of a sudden he could see. You know, probably your testimony doesn't go like that. Well, how do we know we've received the Spirit? Well, let me answer that with some questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you believe that, that you have no ability or you are completely inadequate to save yourself and that, and that the only way that you can have a relationship with God is through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Do you believe that the only hope you have for eternal life is the fact that He didn't stay dead, but three days after His crucifixion, He rose from the grave and, 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 and walked out and, and began to appear to people and then ascended to His Father? 
Do you believe that that's the only hope for life you have? Well, I guarantee you that that you didn't come up with that by yourself. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you've come to a place where you believe that, then you have been made alive in the Spirit. And here's the guarantee. And, and really, we can even see it in these passages, in these questions. He's not even got to teaching yet. And he's already beginning to show them in these questions. Not only were you begun in the Spirit, but now the Spirit is in you. And is the assurance of your salvation. You see, He seals you for that day. That's what the Bible teaches us. We are kept safe by God to the moment that Jesus returns or to the moment that our bodies are put in the grave and our soul goes to be with the Lord. In either case, He is the one at work. The salvation is always dependent upon Him. It's always founded in Him. And you can know you've received this Spirit because it is no human work that comes to a place that denies itself and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And there's things in your life, much like Paul's, that will have changed. I mean, it's not about the things that you do and don't do. But there's certainly things in your life that will have changed and and the trajectory will have changed. You know, we can't stand before God and say, look, God, look at all the things I do. I go to church every Sunday. I I I I I um I give my money. I I, I serve in the church. I I don't you know, I I listen to just Christian music. I only I only go to Christian businesses. I'm so Christian, God, look at me. Nah, you know, and it's not that those things are bad. If that's what you want to do, that's great. But recognize they're a product of your salvation rather than a, a, a way into salvation. You see, and, and, and it's not about what you don't do. It's, God, I don't cheat on my wife. I, I, I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't listen to that devil music. Remember, the, the, these, these things, the, the ways that our life change, they're demonstrations that the Spirit is at work in us. And just a disclaimer, I, I don't have a problem if you listen to something other than the wind or KADI. That's not an issue. But just thought I'd use it as an example. If you want to listen to devil music, that's up to you. <laughs> I said that for Brent. <clears throat> But see, that's the thing, is that the Holy Spirit is doing that work in us. And that is evidence. That is evidence of His work. I can remember a conversation I had with someone. And from the outside looking in, he looked at a Christian person's life, some friends he had, and he had gone into their house, and he all he saw was uh, Christian paintings and Christian music was playing, and, and everything about them was just, it, it just seemed so Christian. He's like, man, I don't know if I want to be that way. He's a young guy, a young Christian guy. And I looked at him and I was like, you know, that may be where you're at today. But the things that are important to you today, as you grow in Christ, those things are going to change. And it may be one day that you are so caught up in who God is and what He's done with you and for you and through you and in you that you want every area of your life to just proclaim His goodness. But it's a result of His work and not a, a way into the salvation. Oh, are you so foolish to think? I mean, it's tough. Are you so foolish to think that beginning in the Spirit, you could now keep yourself safe by what you can do? And he keeps going. The next question is, is did you suffer so many things in vain? And most commentators I read from, they, they don't recognize that the Galatians had any major suffering that they had to deal with. It wasn't like at this point that they had some huge persecution against the Galatian church, at least not that we know of. But come on, I mean, let's get real. Sometimes the Christian life is difficult. I mean, for these people, they would have been turning away from, excuse me, they would have been turning away from 
families and cultural views and cultural perspectives. They would have been some of the only people like this in all of their culture. I mean, for us, it's, you know, in America, it's like, well, I became a Christian. Okay, good. Go hang out with the rest of the Christians because we don't want your kind here. Go, go find your group. But for them, it was totally different. I mean, this was the beginning days of it. This was, this was the first churches that were planted in Galatia. And, and these people, as they lived their life, you, you can be sure that they faced difficulty in their culture. You can be certain of it. You, you can be sure that there was tension in their families. You can be certain of it. And, and the reality is, is that beyond that, sometimes just living the Christian life is difficult. I, I, it, it drives me nuts to hear people say it is easy to be a Christian. Because it's not. Man, I'm a selfish, proud person. And to swallow my pride and sometimes take a slap in the face and not retaliate is difficult. To follow the example of Christ and offer forgiveness when someone has wronged me to sometimes become a doormat? That's, that's hard. That sucks. And so we know that there's things in life that are just this Christian walk that, but man, it is difficult at times. And so I, I don't think he's really talking about, hey, you were beat up because you were a believer. But I think he's saying what you've experienced, these, these experiences you've had along the way, the good, the recognition that the Spirit has come into your life and changed you, and the bad. Your dad doesn't like you anymore because you're a believer. Your, your family has disowned you. Your, um, your neighbors won't talk to you. You're being, uh, you're being mistreated and you have to act with grace. That's difficult. I think that's what he's referring to. And no matter how good we start off, I mean, consider this. This question, as you think about this question, there's an ominous tone to it. Would you have suffered all of this in vain? Is everything that you've experienced for nothing? Wow. What if I've gone all this way and I'm wrong? And see, I think as long as we are consistently reminded by the Spirit alive in us, and constantly brought back to this place and responsive to the truth that only Jesus Christ saves us and that we are in this life not by our own power or our own works, but by God's work in us, by His reaching into our lives and calling us clean, by His reaching into our lives and separating us from the rest of the world, by saying, you are mine, when we recognize that and continue to come back to that because that's what the gospel teaches, I think we can recognize that we don't have anything to be worried about. But no matter how good we start off, if you ever come to a place in your life, no matter how far you go, if you come to a place in life where you stand up before God and you say, you know what? I, I did it. And you begin to reject the truth of the gospel. You need to be concerned. Because suddenly you're no longer listening to the Spirit in you. You're no longer responsive to the works. And look, I'm not teaching that you can lose your salvation. I'm just saying that you were never saved. I believe the Bible's clear that once God saves you, He keeps you safe. But there's plenty of teachings in the Bible that, that point to people that surely look like they became believers and certainly demonstrated a response of faith or looked like they responded in faith. But then they turned back around and they said, you know what, I can be good enough. I can measure up. In fact, I talked to a young girl just this week. And I asked her, you know, I, I, I asked her, what is it that, that you believe makes you saved in God? What, what is it that, that demonstrates your salvation? And she told me, I'm a, I'm a believer. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, you know, I, I, I know that Jesus came and He died on the cross, but, but if I'm good enough, He'll accept me. Wait a minute. 
That's dangerous. Have you experienced all this in vain? Every step of the way, every moment of the day, every every part of our life, every segment and section that God has laid out for us, we must be trusting in this one thing. Jesus Christ saves. His work on the cross paid that payment. Your efforts and and, and the things that you could do are nothing. And it's not totally ominous. This, this verse isn't completely without hope because Paul says, if it was in vain. Is it possible? Is it possible that you've suffered all this in vain if it was in vain? Paul hasn't looked at these people and called them false brothers. He called the Judaizers false brothers. But as he addressed the Galatians, he talked to them as the church. So he's not, he's not, he's not looking at them and saying, hey, you screwed it up. You lost it, man. You, if you had just kept believing. He wasn't, he wasn't coming at them like that. Because at the end of the day, as long as we demonstrate a faith in Jesus Christ alone, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that demonstrates that the Spirit is alive and at work in us. And that is the hope of our salvation. That is the hope of our identity in Christ. That's the hope that we have that one day all this junk that we deal with in this life will be over and that the day that we've been looking forward to, to be in the presence of our Creator, worshiping and loving and, and being able to see Jesus with our own eyes and see Him and talk to Him and, and, and put our hands on Him and love on Him and to no longer deal with the temptations and the struggles of life. As long as our hope is in Him, we can be sure that the Spirit is at work in us and that these things aren't in vain. And then one final question to kind of sum it up. He says, does he who provides the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or hearing with faith? I mean, this is really the heart of his, his argument and his appeal to them. Did God, the Father, who sent the Son, and now provides the Spirit to you. Did, did, did He come and do all of that because you measured up or because you believed? What's your experience? What did you experience with Him? And that's what Paul is trying to get them to do. And he says, think about it. Consider it. And like I said, experiences can be awfully subjective. And somebody can stand up with this experience that is just whacked out crazy. Oh man, this is what God did in my life. I, 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 uh, I started, I started, um, I started going to church every day or every Sunday and started singing the songs as loud as I could and, and began to give 20% of my money and, and, and began to, uh, um, listen only to Christian music, you know, and I began to do all these things and God showed up and said, look, you, you, you've been so good, I forgive you. Well, that's whacked. And it's whacked out because it doesn't line up with Scripture. You see, Paul, what he's about to do now, in, in the verses to come, in the, in the last of this passage, he's about to take their experience, and he's going to ask them to compare it to Scripture. You see, because at the end of the day, our experience is only as good as what the Scripture teaches us. Our experiences have to be measured and weighed. I mean, consider the lady. I, I, I just thought of this. Consider that lady that was on the video at the beginning. I was paralyzed. I couldn't talk. I don't remember all what it said about her, but these Christian people come in and they do something and now I can talk and I, I can walk and wait, wait a minute. That doesn't still happen today, does it? Well, the scripture said it can. Should we doubt that it could? Her experience, her, her experience demonstrates God's powerful work in her life. And she has no reason to doubt that it's God at work because now she's come to a place where she trusts in Jesus Christ alone. And she doesn't have to wonder what the source of that power was because God has not only healed her physically, but He's healed her spiritually. And her experience lines up with Scripture. And that's what he now says. He says, did you receive all of these things by faith or by works? Well, think about what the Bible says. He starts in verse 6. He says, 
Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Hey, you know what? The, the guy that everybody in our culture points to as the father, as the one who started it all, that guy, he was, he was called righteous by God not because of what he did, but because God just said, you're righteous. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you recognize, do you know that, maybe, maybe you do or don't know this. Did Abraham receive righteousness? Was he called righteous by God before or after he was circumcised? After. In fact, Abraham had a righteous standing before God 14 years before God ever came down and said, now circumcise yourself and everybody in your household. 14 years this guy was righteous before any work of the law. And so Paul is saying, think about your experience and now compare it to what the Scripture tells us. Think about what has happened among you and think about what the Scripture reveals to us. Says Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. How do people get become justified? The scripture says it's by faith. By faith. In you shall all the nations, I'm sorry, step back, let's read it again. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, <clears throat> the man of faith. Just real quickly, let me just ask you this. Or, or, or ask you to see this, to, to look at this and think about it. A physical connection with Abraham wasn't enough. Looking back and saying, I'm in the line of Abraham, he was my great, 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 great granddaddy. That's not enough. In fact, to be justified, we have to have a faith like Abraham's. You see, we are blessed along with Abraham and in the same way as Abraham when we believe like Abraham. That's the truth for the Galatians. That's the truth for you and me. And together, our experience in line with Scripture and filtered through and understood by the truth of Scripture become very powerful components in our life. Think about the things that you hear. Think about the temptations that you face. Think about the circumstances that you experience. Think about the struggles of your day. Think about how God came into your life and revealed the truth to you. And how He reveals it to you in Scripture. Think. See, the battle that we face, the battle that is being fought is, is oftentimes being fought in our minds. We need to stop and think about what God has done and continues to do. We need to think about what His Scripture tells us. And just in closing, just let me share with you how this has affected me this week and how I've applied it to my own life. And some of you may have already read the uh, little article I read, wrote for the newsletter that came out this morning. Um, I don't know if you've read it or not. If you haven't, you'll understand more when I, um, after, after you do. But I put in there, I, I, I talked a lot about the struggle that I've had as I've studied through and read Galatians and memorized Galatians. Where I'm now, I've, I've memorized these next, these nine verses that we've gone through today. Um, so now I've memorized from chapter one through tra- chapter three, verses one through nine. And as I've gone through this and experienced it, and compared it to the experience that I had in Philippians, as I memorized Philippians, and Philippians just blew up in my life, and, and it was, golly, it was like, man, it was no effort. Let me say that again. It was effort to memorize 
But it was something I longed to do because it was, every time I looked at it, it was like it was coming to life. And as I thought about it and, and meditated on it and thought through it and memorized it and just quoted it to myself over and over and over and over again, there was things happening. And as I've compared this situation to it, I thought, well, wow, I don't feel like I'm getting nearly as much. It's not as effective. And I began to doubt that it was really worthwhile. And so what I noticed was it was actually easier to memorize the words. It was actually easier to get them in my head so that I could then regurgitate them. But it was much more difficult to really think about or learn from. And so what began to happen was that this began to be a task for me. Just another thing to check off my list of things to do. And it was really about Friday, just Friday evening, I was sitting and considering the sermon and considering this passage. And in my heart, I heard out loud, Oh, you foolish Seth. What has your experience showed you? What has God shown you in His Scripture? And it dawned on me that the difference between Galatians and Philippians has nothing to do with the difference between Galatians and Philippians. It has completely everything to do with me. Because as I've been memorizing, I haven't meditated on it once. I just get in the words in my head. I haven't thought about it at all. I, I, I go to these commentaries and I, and I look at this Greek and, and, I, and I begin to pick apart the language and, and I'm not even looking at it. As if it's the sustenance of life. Scripture tells me that, that His Word is the bread. It, 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 it's, it's, it's like bread to us. It's food to us. It's nourishment to us. And I'm not looking at it like that at all. And so my experience is beginning to demonstrate that I'm not thinking. See, what I realized was that, not that God, it, it's not that God failed as I memorized. It's not that God's Word failed as I memorized. I failed to think. I failed to really consider the Word. And I know that not all of you are memorizing along with me, and that's okay. We're not, we're not making, it's not mandatory. It's not like this is, you gotta, gotta memorize to be a good Christian. No, that's not what we're saying. But it's so easy to go to God's Word and walk away and think we've got nothing from it and think, well, it's just not worth my effort. But that experience is completely out of line with the truth of God's Word. You see, His Word teaches us not only that it's nourishment, but that it is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, Preparing us for every good work. And that's how I began to apply it. And that's how I began to see it. I had quit thinking. I was just looking for answers. I wasn't, I wasn't looking for how it impacted my life or how I could walk with it. And when God opened it up, He opened it up with this conviction, Oh, you foolish little man. Think about my words to you. Think about what I've said to you because between our experience and the truth of His Scripture, those are the, really the two things that we have, on, have to hold on to in this life, in this walk of faith. As I recognize all the things He's done in my life, as I can look back on how He has freed me from certain sins and how I have, have, have learned to be a Christian man, and walk in this Christian walk. And that moment when He came into my life and showed me the truth, man, those experiences remind me that He's going to keep doing what He's always been able and powerful enough to do. And so I hope that there's some idea or, or some circumstance in your life. I have prayed for this. That there is some circumstance in your life that you can recognize. I need to stop and I need to think 
and I need to compare this experience with the truth of God's word. And I need to bring my life into submission with it. Because that is what Paul was calling these Galatians to. Think about what you've experienced. Now compare it to Scripture. What are you going to do? Think about what you're experiencing right now, the circumstances of your life today. Compare it to the Scriptures. What will you do? How will you respond? It's it's easy to think and, and, and to consider these words in terms of salvation. And it's really easy for me to stand up here and, and tell you that you look at the circumstances of your life and compare it to Scripture and see what God has to show you in it. But I can tell you this. If you walk away from this message and you don't stop and think about the circumstances of your life or think about the things that are going on or how God has worked in you and continues to work in you and then compare it to the Scripture you find yourself in the exact same place those Galatians were. We can be very foolish. Not meaning that you're stupid or idiotic or unable to think, but that we neglect to do it all the time. Let's pray. Father, I I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your truth. I thank You that it is the measure that we have that, that, that measurement for our life. I thank you that we can trust it, that, that we can look to it and understand its truth. I thank you, God, that you've given us minds to comprehend it, that you've given us minds to, to consider it, that you've given us minds that we can think about it, that we can see it, understand it, believe it, And God, that through the power of your Spirit that we can trust in it and rely on it. I pray, God, that you would help us to to measure our experiences, to recognize the work you've done, bring it under the authority of Scripture, that, that you would give us an understanding of Scripture, and that we would be able to marry these two things in our life, and that as we walk forward and as we move through life, that they would just continue to reveal your goodness and greatness to us, that they would reveal to us your power and your nature, that they would show us your grace and your mercy, that they would, that they would help us stand in the midst of dark days, that they would help us to take steps and to persevere, to move forward, to continue in this walk, so that at the end we will be a people who have persevered, a people that have stood firm. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.